Good morning, and I greet you in Jesus' name. It's good to see everyone here this morning, and uh, I too want to especially welcome our visitors. We're glad to have you here. For whatever reason, you chose to be here, and we welcome you back again. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, to start out. We're going to read the first 17 verses here of Ephesians 5. It starts like this, Ephesians 5.1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an, off- an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And that is the title of this morning's message, Understanding What the Will of the Lord Is. There's a number of things that kind of led me to this uh, particular topic here this morning. Um... Number one, big picture, that's something I think we all desire, don't we? Um, uh, what's the will of the Lord uh, for me, for my uh, this decision I must make, or just my general um, trajectory in life? Uh, what what would that be? Last weekend I was uh, I was uh, in Ontario, as many of you know, and um, sat in a few board meetings, and and we made a number of decisions. And this whole idea of of what the Lord's will would be in these decisions was was front and center. In other words, we uh, we understood the the weight of some of these decisions, and and we desired that we would be in God's will. And uh, you know, these um, th- this thing of, of finding God's will is is for sure not something that interests anybody except those that. Are God's people. I mean, if you're not if you're not a follower of God, this subject wouldn't be of no interest to you whatsoever. There's several dynamics on this on this subject that um, that I I thought about whenever I was um, preparing this. The first one is that God has such infinite knowledge that it almost seems impossible for us as humans to know his will, all right? When you think about who God is, 
or maybe not know his will, but to understand it, to get it, to, to get a grasp on it. Um, and I could point you to many scriptures in the Bible that would, that would give it stamp of approval to that observation. Uh, I'll give you one. In Isaiah 55, 9, uh, the prophet says like this, or God is speaking through the prophet, I should say. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, well, how high is that? Uh, there's not really a measurable distance, but it's high. We know that. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if you just stop and think about that a little bit, if, if that's the way it is, and it is, then how are we going to, how are we going to get a grasp on, uh, on understanding God's will for us? It's a little like, if you think about it this way, um, most of us have some critters around our place to some degree that we, we have chosen to put them under our care. And so, uh, animals and us don't think the same way. But if we're any kind of, uh, good people at all. We want what's best for our animals, right? And so we we do what's good for them. But every once in a while there's something that's good for them that we we need to do for them that does not bring them a great deal of pleasure. Uh, but we still do it for them because our ways and our thoughts are higher than theirs. And so even though they dislike it and would rather it didn't happen, we do it anyway because we understand that. If we can just take that and, and relate that the other direction, that is a, that's a poor illustration of how God relates to us. His ways are so much higher that when we're going through distresses in life, uh, woe be to us to question it, right, if we desire to be in God's will. Um, Job was a great example of that, um, a man that was perfect, and yet he was put through some sore trials, and he didn't understand it. The second dynamic is that I believe God does desire to reveal his will to us. But as I, as I pondered upon some of the scripture that uh, speaks of God's will, our will, and, and discovering that, I, I, I was impressed how many times the onus is put upon us to find that out. In other words, it's not so much it's not so much that God's there like in front of us showing us the way that easily, but it's more about one of those things, how how much do I want to know God's will and how much effort am I going to put into that to discover it? I'll read you a couple of verses that maybe um, uh, go along these lines. Again, from the book of Isaiah, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. All right, so that's that's where God is. He's in a high and a holy place, but He's also with those that are of a contrite and a humble spirit. So you want God's dwelling, you got, you want God's leading. Um, be a humble and a, a contrite person. A few verses from Psalms and Proverbs. Psalm 145.18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call on him in truth. All right? Again, the onus is on us to do some calling here. Proverbs, in, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So there's some prep work we need to do before our paths will be directed. We need to trust God. We need to put secondary our own understanding 
Because our understanding, again, remember, is so inferior to God's that we'll never, if we're going to try to match those two, it's not going to work. And then we need to acknowledge him in all our ways. And we talked about that some in our Sunday school lesson about being discerning people, acknowledging him and his uh, precepts as we make decisions in life. And then there's a third dynamic that, that plays into this, and that is uh, the permissive will of God that allows man to make choices, even though they're very poor at times, and he's still having the ability to work behind scenes and orchestrate things to his good pleasure, no matter how we choose. And there's so much that plays into that. Uh, we make poor choices, perhaps, and God's not necessarily going to um, stay his hand on us um, receiving some of the, the poor outcome of the poor choices, right? That's still that law of sowing and reaping going on there. But we also have enough um, illustration in the Bible where a, a person made a poor choice, but but God worked through that, and at the end it still worked out for the person's good because God is a good God and uh, he understands our inability sometimes to to make the choices that we should perhaps the important part here though is that God's will will always be done and it's a matter of how I choose to participate in that that I will find peace in my life and that I will be in the will of God and I think it goes without saying that the only way that we will find peace in life is if we are comfortable in the fact that the circumstances I am in, the path that I am on, is one that is pleasing to God. If we can, if we can get that down, we're well on our way to understanding what the will of the Lord is. I think a true child of God, and this is maybe restating myself, is interested in finding God's will and staying in it. Fanny Crosby, in her song, uh, Draw Me Near, she made this little statement. She said, Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thine. And that was the right order. And when one considers the the uh, path that Fanny was chose was uh, was given to to um, to walk in life that of one being blind that ability to lose herself into God's will was certainly one that I'm sure did not come without um, some real resignation I'm sure of that she could have she could have certainly lived um, in a, in quite a bit of bitterness and um, and uh, a, a, a sad life had she not chosen otherwise. I was also interested as I just thought about it, how many people in the Bible we have that actively sought God's will through various means. Um, one that you probably quickly think of as Gideon and his fleece there. Um, and you under, you remember that story. He was so interested that he had this right that he said, God, you know, uh, let, let's have this fleece be wet and the, and the ground dry. Let's do it that way. And um, so God not only answered that prayer, um, um, you know, to his desire, it was overwhelming. He's like wringing the fleece out and the, and the water's running. 
Do you remember that? And then, and then like that wasn't enough, he said, well, could you do it one more time? And we'll just do it the other way this time. Let's have dew on the ground and let's have the fleece be dry. It doesn't give a lot of details there, but I have a feeling Gideon's feet were pretty wet when he went to check that fleece that morning. And I have a feeling the fleece was bone dry. I don't think there was any guessing on Gideon's part. We have uh, Samson's father, if you remember, uh, when the angel came and talked to, to Samson's mother, and, and she went and talked to Manoah there. And Manoah said, he pled with God, he said, could you send that angel one more time and talk to us? And God answered that, and there were some signs and wonders through all that. But, but Manoah was interested, and God answered that desire that he had. If you remember, there was also um, the high priest in the Old Testament wore a, uh, a breastplate, if you remember. And in that breastplate was uh, two stones called the Urim and the Thummim. I guess I'm saying that right. I don't know. Something like that. And, and we really don't have, that I'm aware of, we don't have any record of that necessarily being used in the Bible. Maybe we do. I'm not sure. I wasn't. I wasn't able to come up with it. I, I do. I, there was some instances where there was a desire to um, to um, have that piece of equipment around, and it wasn't. But anyway, this, the the specific use of this was to discern God's will. Um, there was a, a method that that was used to discern specifics through these um, through these uh, this urim and thummim, and we could we could enumerate some others, but those are just three quick ones where God's people were quite interested in God's will. Well, we don't have Urim and Thummins today, do we? Um, But we still have God's people around, and we still have God's people that want to know God's will. I believe that in one way or another, we are being led of God every day. And um, I think circumstances, things are happening in our lives subtly that we may not even be conscious of, but it may well be prepping us for things um, in the future for us. And that can only be really seen once we get past and we look back and we say, oh yeah, I see I see why that was that way because of this now. It makes sense. Uh, my mind went to Moses there, um, shepherding those sheep for 40 years in the wilderness and this has been an oft-referred-to story of how that was probably really good prep work for his job the next 40 years. And uh, it does make mention that when God came to call Moses to the, to the leadership there of, of those um, Israelites, that it said that he found himself in a place of contentment. He was just happy to, t- to tend those sheep, and he wasn't really looking for anything else. But God had something more for him. Interestingly enough, and not surprisingly, it is the big events in our lives that cause us to stop and think and really ponder on what God's will could be for me in this particular thing. Because this particular thing will make a big impact on my life, and it's, it's, it's good and right that we are interested in that. So what I want to visit this morning is, how can we live in such a way that we are in a, in, a, in a place of discernment so when these big events come that we can sort it out um, maybe a little easier than if we aren't consciously doing that? <clears throat> Another thing that you all know this, but it probably should be mentioned, 
is that when one thinks of the trajectory of life, uh, you know, as a child, your decisions, are, you know, your will is, is, is pretty, pretty low on the totem pole. In other words, uh, your, your parents will largely decide what you eat, what you wear, where you will go, and how you will conduct your life. And, and we understand how that segues into more and more and more independence as we grow older. And then there comes a time where there's that shift somewhere along the line. It's, it's a little blurry, but there's that shift where the parents aren't so much making these decisions anymore. And now the children are becoming more and more independent and solidifying choices in life. And it is almost scary how many huge choices in life are made so terribly young. Um, you know, when you think about the, the fact that the brain is not developed fully till you're like 26 or 27, and how many of those big choices in life are made prior to that, it is, um, it is, it's a wonder almost. But maybe there's got to be a reason for that, and that's one of those things that I'll be interested if, if there is such a thing as conversing with the, with the Lord once we get to the other side. That would be one I would be interested in. I have a feeling that possibly the reason that is, is because if we fully grasped the uh, the um, uh, the gravity of some of these decisions, it would probably just paralyze us and we wouldn't make them. So maybe a little immaturity is good just to keep us keep it moving along. I'm not sure, but anyway, that's the way it is. All right. So in this chapter that we just read, um, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure that the thrust of this chapter is necessarily the this this uh, title of this message, Understanding What the Will of the Lord Is, but it certainly, there are certainly some keys in this chapter that I see that can help us uh, factor into finding God's will for us. So the first one I see is in verse 1, um, children. Now this is probably so obvious that it, it is almost silly to state. statement certainly indicates that there's going to be a close relationship between you and God. Me and God. Um, a child-parent relationship, you understand that. There's a trust. There's an admiration. There's an anticipation that good things are going to come from the hand of the parent. And there's a mutual understanding that he or she will only do good things for them. And likewise, the parent the best in mind for the child. You understand that. That's, that's, that's the way it should work in a healthy relationship. And so thus, if there's a crisis situation where um, it demands a crisis action and um, a child is requested by his parent to do something way out of the ordinary, he will do it because he knows that that, that parent only has the good of that child in mind. And so the question is, is that the kind of relationship you and I have with God? Are we, are we aspiring to that? Are we finding it? Are we finding that kind of a relationship? If we, when the undesirable comes along or when we find ourselves with a choice that is somewhat overwhelming. I had to think of uh, Abraham's servant, Eliezer, um, um, again, a, a beautiful story of God's leading. Abraham wanted a wife for his son Isaac, and he gives this task to his hired man, really, is what it boiled down to. The dynamics of that are so off the charts of what we do today that it's, it's, it's hard to, to believe that that's how it happened, and it happened so well. 
But the reason that happened so well is because the, the key was that when Eliezer got there, you remember his prayer, how he prayed to God, God honored those signs that he asked for. And when he went back to um, Rebecca's house, he made a statement. He said, I was in the way and God led me. The, the, the synergism of that is so beautiful. He, he's like, I was in God's way, and yet as I was in God's way, well, God led me. And, and that's, that's where we should be. That should be our desire, to be in the way, and then God will continue to lead us. And you know, you know the go-to verses that we have in the Bible for this, but I'm going to read them to you anyway. Uh, one of the, one of the probably best known verses in the Bible that we can go to when we're confused and, and not sure about our circumstances is in Romans 8.28 where it says, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. We just don't love God. Do I love God? Are we interested in being in a place that we are called to his purpose? If we are, we can rest assured that things will work together for good. Things are being orchestrated for our good. Psalm 37:23 The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Uh that's so reassuring. Uh can you be can you be defined as a good man or a good woman? If you if you are, if you delight in that, uh, your steps are ordered of the Lord. And we uh we're thankful for that. If you drop down here now in chapter 5 to verses 4 through 8, you will find a um a description of people that aren't necessarily in the state of being a dear child of God. They're doing things completely opposite of that. Paul says that these things should not be once named among the saints. And he there's a whole catalog of things here and we read those. And if that's where if that's if that's is a path that we insist upon walking in, we're going to end up taking our cues from the deceivers, and that comes out in in verse six. It says, "Let no man deceive you with vain words." In other words, don't be tricked into the idea that that these things um, are of God. They are not. But if we are walking in that, and we are in darkness, as verse eight talks about, um, finding God's will in life is going to be nearly impossible. It's going to cloud our our uh, judgment, and I would even suggest that even dabbling close to this will cloud our judgment. And we'll really, really struggle to find God's will. Number two, another thing I see here in these uh, verses is in uh, verse 10. It says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Talk about walking as children of light and proving what is acceptable to the Lord. I'd like you to think of it in this way. Am I living in a way that affirms that God's ways are good? You know this, and I know this, but we should never question what God says is clearly acceptable or always right. And this can be helpful in ascertaining God's will if we're willing to take the word of God and the things that he says are absolutely right and clear black and white, easy to understand. Don't question it. Just live in it and prove that that's the way it is. I went through the, the Bible, or the New Testament, I should say, and I just picked out some verses 
that talk specifically to things that are acceptable unto the Lord. <clears throat> and I was I was interested that these few verses that I found could be quite helpful in in figuring out God's will for our lives, more specifically. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Did you catch that? If we're people that are presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to the best of our ability right now, we are living in a holy way. We are living in a way that is acceptable to God. We are not conforming to the cues of the world. We are in a process of being transformed by a renewing of our mind. That happens every day. That happens because we're interested. We're, we're reading God's word. We're communicating with God, etc. Only then will we be able to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Do not let the world press itself into our mold or way of thinking. We won't find God's will in this state. 14.18 talks about, um, well, the whole chapter of, of Romans 14 is talking about being careful about not being offensive to our brother's conscience. And if you read that closely, the, the whole chapter is, is talking about how there's things that are acceptable, but it's a good idea to refrain from just because, you know, it's just going to be offensive. And, it, and, and it's really, uh, it, it's, a, it's a pleading for us to understand, to take others into consideration in our choices. And that's the point I'd like to make. It is acceptable, totally acceptable, to take into consideration your brother, your sister, your parents, your whatever, people that are near and dear to you, and incorporate their perspectives and um, and help them to f- help you find your way as you work together. Uh, it's completely acceptable, Romans 14, 18 says. In 1 Timothy 2, 1-3, we find that it is always acceptable to pray. That's acceptable. And um, again, it's so elementary, it almost feels like it should be a preschool class, right? But that's what the Bible says, and, and Paul was writing to Timothy. In Colossians 4.12, and I'm just going to read that real quick, um, because I like how that puts it. It's the last chapter here, and Paul's wrapping up his, his letter here to Colossae, and he talks about a man by the name of Epaphras. And we don't know much about Epaphras, but we know this. He says, who is one of you? In other words, he was a brother there in the church. He was a servant of Christ. And so we're getting a good idea of who he is, and he was a good man. It said, he he says, he saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. So in other words... um, that tells me that not only is my prayers important, your prayers for me is also important in, uh, in finding out the will of God. That's acceptable. And my mind went to Paul and Barnabas whenever they were separated for the work there on the first missionary journey. Um, there, it said there was praying and fasting and seeking the face of God, and God revealed through the Spirit. That, so that was a, a nice example of that happening there. In First Timothy... 
5, verse 4, we have another acceptable thing. It says that it is acceptable for a widow to be taken care of by the family. And if that doesn't work out, then the church of God should step in and take care of it. And Paul goes on to tell Timothy in verse 8, and it's an off-quoted verse, that a person that doesn't do this is worse than an infidel. So, uh, again, um, a very, a very easy thing to understand, but it's, it, it's acceptable when a person needs help, especially a widow in this particular, um, situation, that we do that. That's, that's, that's easy to understand. And then finally, in 1 Peter 2.20, Peter states that it is acceptable to suffer patiently. And this is the one that's probably the most difficult for us as humankind, because in our minds, when we are suffering, we always equate that, or we tend to equate that, with being in some sort of state of, of, um, of, uh, with God that's not acceptable. And so God's trying to chastise us, and, you know, we, we almost equate it with punishment, all right? But Peter says here that no, if if you if you suffer for some reason and you find yourself in the will of God and 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 you your conscience is clear before God that that's acceptable. You shouldn't question that. I would like to further build on this a little bit, and now I'd like to turn our minds toward other concrete foundational things that are totally acceptable and blessed of God and should not be questioned. <laughs> And, th- and these are just five things I thought about, and they're not all inclusive, and we could make a list of 20, but we don't have time to do that. But these are things that we don't need to question. When you think of, when you go back, to, we've been, a few months ago, we were looking in Genesis there and talking about that. And, and um, one of the things that comes out very, very quickly in Genesis is that the whole thing of a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife is acceptable. It's easily defined, it's understood, and it's something that should be entered into, as the uh, as the Bible puts it, when the opportunity exists to do it in the Lord. The uh, Hebrew writer um, states it this way. He says, marriage is honorable in all. That's very easy to understand. And it is unfortunate we live in a society where this is so twisted and misunderstood and abused that... Um, it, it's hardly even understood well in our society. I trust that that's not creeping into into our into our ranks. But this is a this is a thing that God has blessed. He's defined it. Let's take it at face value and let's not mess with it. Now that's not to say that um, everyone will find themselves in the state, but that's another subject. I'm simply saying this morning that it's an honorable thing, and I, I think that's why Paul condemns it. When he says that in the latter days there will be some that will forbid to marry, and he and he calls that heresy because he says oh, that's not the way it is. This is honorable. To build on that very quickly, God in Genesis again, God desires that married couples would have children. Let's not question that. Let's not second guess that. We don't need to debate that. That's settled. God has issued instruction in the word, in his word, how to bring these children up. Let's not mess with that either. There's clear instruction that a child left to his own devices will bring his mother to shame. And um, if you want some object lessons on that, you don't have to look far to see how that turns out if some other path is followed. Another one, God wants us to engage in tempered, productive occupation. 
the Thessalonians were weak on this, and Paul says, you need to get out and you need to work. you got to get to work. Other times we're, we're cautioned, lest our work runs away on us. But it's still a good thing. And one, the last one I have here, God has set up easily understood instruction on gender issues and leadership roles in the Holman Church. Don't mess with that. That's been messed with and played with, and it's to a point now that it's unbelievable how confused people are on this. And um, But, you know, it's so easily understood if we just would take it at face value. And so I guess my point is this. Let us not dispute or even try to alter what God has clearly spoken to. Let's live in, in that light that he's given, and let's be living proof that it is good. And I think if we can find ourselves inside that big picture, it'll help us in fine-tuning the more specifics. The last thing I want to pull out of this chapter comes in verses 15 through 17 here. Don't be unwise. Understand what... I'm sorry, let's back up. See then you walk circumspectly. Now that word circumspectly um, means with discretion. And we talked about that. I was interested how we talked about that so much in, in Sunday school. Are we people of discretion? Can we can we do that? Um, it, it seems like that comes a little harder for for some of us than others. But walk circumspectly. Look around. Understand. Observe. He says um, here. He says, uh, "Don't be foolish. Be wise, and uh, and 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 understand what's going on around you." And he said, "If you do that, that leads to wisdom and an understanding of the Lord's will." And I would like to just say, in this matter of discretion, um, if we observe repeated patterns of good or bad, and, and we can do this, this is not that hard, and we, we begin to see predictable, predictable outcomes. If this path is followed, that's typically the outcome. If this path is followed, that's the typical outcome. We are absolute foolish to say, you know what, I'm so great, I'm so wise, I'm so... Um, so one of a kind that I can take this path, but I'm going to get that result. That is just foolish. That is not wisdom. Don't try to do it. Be discreet. Observe. Um, Paul says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he laid out the different things that the Israelites had done in the wilderness and how it turned out so poorly for them. And he said, now all these things happen to you for an example, and they are written for your admonition." So he, he did that very thing. He said, don't do this because that's what happened. That's what they did. And that's how it turned out. And it wasn't good. Discretion also means that I will analyze my own path. I will be honest about my own spiritual growth. Have my decisions, has the path I chosen, has, is that leading me to a deeper life and desire of holiness? Or do I find myself more interested in expressions of carnality? Do I feel that pull? It can help us to understand this. I also would like to talk about this thing of redeeming time. I wonder sometimes if it would be, if, if we would sit down with a piece of paper in front of us and just draw a, a pie chart, and we would divide that thing in four, and I would guess that if, I don't think I'm too much out of the normal, but when I think of my, the time that, I, that God has given me and the, how that is divided up, I basically have personal time, I have family time, 
I have time that I spend with my occupation, and I have time that I specifically put toward kingdom work. That would be that kind of encompasses where I spend my time. Now, though there's tentacles; those things overlap quite a bit, and I think maybe we shouldn't. Uh, we should be very aware of that. That that maybe we shouldn't be so concise about divvying that up. But let's be honest with ourselves. How do we want to proportion that pie chart? Do we want that in four quarters? Or do we want to, do we want to heavyweight, um, the occupation and give that a slice of half or three quarters? Um, how do we want that to look? And, and be honest how that's working out for you. Um, how am I making my decisions and how much of that, that redeeming of time am I interested in? Am I consistently seeking God's kingdom? And I think that's why Jesus stressed that so much in his time here on earth. He's like, listen, I'm not saying that work and clothes and food and those things aren't important. You need that. But he said, never let the kingdom stuff suffer because you're so occupied with that. Because he said, God will add those things to you. Uh, put first God's kingdom. Okay. Now, let's get into just a few nuts and bolts here before we uh, uh, close here this morning. Let's consider some things that could be helpful when we take all these principles and put them together. What are some things that could be helpful for me in finding God's will in, in the very mundane things of life? All right, so and maybe this is a repeat, but number one, let's be careful that in our routine daily choices that we're choosing wisely, all right? The, the stuff that, uh, I say this very carefully, but the stuff that we wouldn't even um, necessarily pray about. You know what I mean? It's just something we do every day, and, and this is just things we do. Uh, we can get into a routine of always choosing selfishly. I mean, in very small ways, we can, we can choose the selfish way. And if we're constantly in the small areas of life, always going the selfish route, Chances are that when we get to the bigger stuff, we're going to default to that as well. And um, it's probably not going to lend itself to finding God's will in our lives. All right. This is, again, a repeat, number two. Be, be a kind of person that is, is quick to ask and incorporate godly advice of others into your decision-making. And I refer back to Epaphras here in, in Colossae, uh, in the, in the letter here to the Colossians. Um, his prayers enabled others to find the will of God. And I don't know how specifically he prayed, but it certainly wouldn't have hurt. And I have a feeling that he did. He probably knew some of those people there in that church. And with his conversations with Paul, he probably was able to pray quite specifically for them. And Paul, you know, we have examples in, in the letters that he wrote where he gave specific advice to specific people, and it was helpful for them. I had to think of the uh, illustration of Rehoboam in the Old Testament. Um, he got some advice too, didn't he? He got the, the older men and he got the younger men. And um, it certainly, uh, certainly his choice was 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 an ungodly one let's just put it that way and he certainly suffered the consequences for it so let's be careful about that let's uh let's let's incorporate that all right number 3 um 
Many times, it is a fine thing to make a choice and not necessarily expect a direct leading of God per se. But if we are in the will of God, we can attribute our steps to be led of God and open to change in those paths. Now, that's very wordy, and let me try to explain what I'm trying to say there. If you go into the book of James, there's a few short verses there that says, um, if you're going to go into the city tomorrow, you should say, if it is God's will, I will go into the city. All right, that's what I'm going to do tomorrow, which is a great thing. That's fine. But but perhaps this man's job is such such that it requires him to go into the city every day. And so he just assumes when he gets up in the morning that he's going to go to the city again. And he's going to buy and sell or whatever he's going to do there. But what if something happens that he doesn't go to the city that day? So the, there's some circumstances come up and he, and he doesn't. Well, if if his attitude has always been that if it's the Lord's will, I will go to the city and circumstances prevent him from doing that, he can accept that and he can say, well, you know, it wasn't the Lord's will that I go to the city today. And so the circumstances is what led him um, to do whatever he did that day, and he was and he was satisfied with that. And I do believe that circumstantial uh, happenings in our life are largely, can, can, can largely be the, the hand of God if we are just careful enough and observant enough to see it. So let's, uh, let's take that into consideration. Accept your circumstances. Another question that often comes up here in, uh, in this particular discussion, it is, is it advisable to do what Gideon did and lay a fleece out and say, now God, I want that fleece to turn wet or dry or however you, you want it ordered. Is that, is that an acceptable thing to do? And, and there's, there's different opinions on that. I know people that, that have made choices that way, um, and they feel good about it, and I'm not here to necessarily judge or condemn that. But I would, I would just ask a few questions. I think we should ask a few questions before we do that. Number one, do I know God's will? And am I just stalling and hoping for a different answer? So in other words, we went through some things that we know specifically are God's will. If the, if the question is, I would really like a different answer than what I know is right, just don't even lay the fleece out. Don't do it. You know the answer. You're stalling. You're wishing for a different outcome. Just don't do it. Another question we could ask is, have I exhausted all other avenues of discerning God's will? Am I truly confused? Or have I, do I want to be confused? Maybe that's the way to put it. Um, I had to think of, uh, of Balaam uh, here in this, um, in this, in this, um, di- as I was thinking through this. You know, he was a man that he knew God's will. It seems like he did. And he asked, and he re-asked, and God finally said, yeah, go ahead and do it. And then you know how that worked, you know, the whole donkey scenario and all that. If you piece all the parts of the puzzle together in the Bible where it talks about Balaam, you will soon conclude that Balaam knew better, but he insisted on, on taking his own way there. So have I prayed about it? Have I exhausted other avenues of discerning God's will? And if I do indeed choose a fleece, can, will I be satisfied with what that reveals? Or will I still reserve the right to make up my own mind? And 
I guess my my advice would be on that is it's probably not real advisable to force God to answer in a specific way, but rather be tuned to his guidance that he would have for us in any form. I wouldn't necessarily cast that out completely, but um, I would think most times it's probably unnecessary. Fifthly, I would just like to say this yet. I think God can take choices that we have made in the past that were poorly thought out or reckless and still redeem the situation and make it a blessing. Um, We don't always make good choices. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Or maybe our motivation was a little wanting or something like that. But I would would just remind us in in Genesis we have the story of Joseph, Joseph. And at the end of that story, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he took that awful story and he redeemed it. And Joseph was able to look back and see the hand of God through all of that. Now, in that particular instance, Joseph wasn't necessarily the instigator of those choices, um, but he still could see the redemptive hand of God through it. And... Um, I would, I would guess, unless you all are made of different stuff than me, you probably can look back on your life, if you're of any age at all, and see choices that you've made that perhaps weren't the best. Um, but I would say God can still redeem those, and he does. I would also say let's be, let's be open to surprises that God would have for us as long as they are inside the known will of God. Um, you know, we're all different. Some of us aren't looking for surprises, but we get them anyway, right? And that's, 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 that's a way of discerning God's will. If, if something comes along in your life that you weren't looking for and you don't even necessarily want, if it feels like something that could still be inside of God's will and this thing is put in front of you, well, perhaps you should consider it. You think of the many people in the Bible that were just doing their thing and God came along and they made a radical change in their life. Moses is one. We talked about him. Elisha is another one. He's plowing. He's plowing in a field and he burned his plow and the oxen and went and followed Elisha. Amos was a farmer. Peter and Andrew were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. And these people all got surprises one day and they, uh, they followed God. But you know what? There were still people that continued to plow and fish and collect taxes. Um, Not like that was wrong, but God had other plans for them, and they chose to follow God. And lastly, I would encourage us all to choose contentment and peace with our current circumstances and situation. But always be open to something that God may be bringing to us. Paul said that he had learned that whatever state he was, to be content. You know, maybe there's some of you here this morning that would wish your circumstances are different. Maybe you wish that God would lead you in a different direction. Um, Possibly that's the case. But I can tell you this, uh, if you're in the will of God, if you're in the way, as Eliezer put it, God's going to lead you, and he's going to direct you. And when you're in that way, God will be there to show you the rest of the way as you're open to that. Many of us will probably not lead um, splashy lives. We're going we're to have fairly normal lives. But 
But as God leads us along, we're going to have these decisions that come along, and um, and things are going to happen circumstantially that that will reveal His will to us, and in other ways. The psalmist says, "The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." Are you righteous? Are you in the way of the righteous? And I would I would conclude by saying this. You know, in the moment when we have big decisions to make or things that um, we wish we had a bit more direction on, uh, sometimes the clarity doesn't come till later. And we can look back and say, well, you know, that was orchestrated for a reason. But let's, let's not let that, that unknown paralyze us and not allow us to make good choices with God's help in the moment. And I'm sure God wishes to do that for us.